Amen. All right, friends, here's what we're going to do. A little different this morning. If you've been around, you know this, but here's what we're going to do. Pull out your phones for me. Pull out your phone. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to pull the room real quick. We're going to pull the room. And so if you would go to uh, menti.com. So it's up there on the screen there. M-E-N-T-I, M-E-N-T-I.com on your phone. It's going to prompt you for a code. And you can put in that code there, which is uh, 8980-4242. Um, and what this is, um, it's kind of like a live polling site. So we can, we can actually have a conversation with everybody in the room at the same time. It's really fun. So we are not, this is not us collecting your information so we can sell it to a Nigerian prince. Okay, that's not going to happen this morning. No, I want to ask you some questions. The first question is really, really easy, um, yet highly debatable, right? What is the best Easter candy, right? What is the best Easter candy? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to create some word clouds. If you've never done this before, um, you have to be specific. So in the last gathering, a lot of people put chocolate. Chocolate is not specific. It's broad. What kind of chocolate, okay? It's got to be specific. What is the best Easter candy? In order for the word cloud to pick up on this, um, you've got to put, is it working? Yes. I'm not seeing the results for some reason. Let me refresh this. Let's see. Here it comes. Yes, overwhelming. Okay, great. Yes, perfect. Keep coming in. Keep bringing it. Uh, go ahead. So it's minty.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, and then 8980-4242. I'm going to let you guys keep, keep doing that for a minute. Is everybody, is everybody good? Some people are still working. Okay, I'm going to give you another minute to work on that. In fact, I'll tell you what this, while they're still, while some people are still figuring it out, uh, the rest of you can go ahead and open up your Bibles, because we're, we're going to use those today too. Um, open up your Bible to Matthew, Matthew 21, Matthew 21, Matthew 21. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in, um, and that will be on page 916, 916, 916. And so again, for those of you who are still uh, figuring out the minty thing, it's uh, minty, M-E-N-T-I dot com, and the code is 8980-4242, 8980-4242. How are we doing? Everybody good on the minty thing? All right, I got a, got a lot of good responses. Bree, you can go ahead and uh, snap that. Let me know when you're good. We're good? Good? Okay. All right, so go, go back to your phones for a second, and I'm going to ask you the next question, Okay. Oh, there it is. You guys already got it up there? You guys are fast. No, 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 no. Yeah, throw it up there. Sweet. Look at this. Chocolate bunnies. Chocolate bunnies. Yeah, that, is, that is for sure. I don't know if it's the best Easter candy. It's popular. But, like, there's some, there's some gross chocolate bunnies out there. Now, Reese's eggs. Reese's eggs. I'll give you that one. Cadbury mini eggs. My wife would agree with you on that. Cadbury mini eggs are her jam. Um, Cadbury eggs, there's, see, so see, there's Cadbury eggs and then there's Cadbury mini eggs, which are the same thing, right? So if we'd have, if we'd have gotten those words the same, it would actually be larger, and it might have even competed with chocolate bunnies. I don't know. I can't say for sure. But we got, yes, yes, Reese's, uh, Reese's peanut butter, Reese's eggs. There's peanut, peanut butter cup eggs. See, see, that's too broad, okay? Um, it's, not, it's not broad. It's just not, right? Peanut butter cup eggs, 
right? No, no, just Reese's, Reese's eggs, right? That's how word clouds work. And this is important because I'm going to ask you the next question, which is another word cloud one. So on your phone there, I'm going to ask you the next one. And here it is. It should have populated automatically. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, again, you can't give me a sentence, right? It's got to be like a word of two, three words max, right? What is the gospel? If you were to articulate that, now if you were in the last gathering, don't answer this, okay? You're going you're gonna to jack it up, okay? If you're in the last gathering, you don't count, okay? I love you, but you don't count. Uh, what is the gospel? If you're, if you're watching online, you can participate in this as well, as long as you're watching live, right? So you can, you can interact with the room, which is really, really fun and cool if you're watching this live uh, online. Yeah, here it comes. They're, they're coming in. So for those of you who are watching online, again, menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, 8980-4242 is the code. All right, what is the gospel? It's coming in. Good job, guys. Give you guys just another minute on that. And we'll ask one last question. Right. Everybody good? <clears throat> what is the gospel? Seems like we got it. Seems like it, we got it. Okay. All right. Go ahead and snap that. And I'll ask you guys the next question. Now, the next question takes a little bit of, just before we answer it, um, it it's going to take a little bit of explanation. So, is, is the reign of, is Jesus' reign as king a line, a line segment, or a ray, right? So, we got to go back to kind of junior high geometry. A line is infinite in both directions, right? Which means Jesus has always been king and always will be king, right? Is it a line? Is it best, best, best represented as a line? A line segment would be like it has, a, it has a, a starting point and an end, right? A line segment. So Jesus has not always been king and won't always be king, right? His kingship is, is limited, right? Or is it a ray? A ray has a clear beginning, but it has no end. It goes on infinitely. So Jesus became king and will always be king, right? So which one of those three best represents Jesus' reign as king? A line, always been, always will be. A line segment um, has a beginning and an end. Or a ray has a beginning but no end, okay? Which one of those best represents Jesus' reign as king? Okay. I'll let you guys have, give me another minute on that one as we get into our text for this morning. All right. Bree, I think you can go ahead and snap that one as well. All right, let's do this. Let's go ahead and as soon as you are ready, Bree, if you can throw up uh, the gospel one, <clears throat> the uh, gospel word cloud. There it is. What is the gospel? Here's what you guys said. Um, I'm going to go back to it on my screen. Uh, good news, overwhelmingly, uh, is the winner there. The good news, which, which is good because gospel means good news, right? It comes from uh, this Greek word, uh, euangelion, right? The, the good news, right? This is, this, is the good, this is the good news. But, listen, is good news the gospel? Okay, think about it for a second. If somebody runs a red light, and, I, and I, I slam on the brakes and swerve out of the way, and I just barely miss them, that's good news. Is that the gospel? 
Is that the gospel? No, thank you. Yes, easy answer. No, that's not the gospel, but it is good news. So is good news the gospel? No. Gospel means good news. Yes, it does. That's a good answer. Like, it means good news. It's kind of this overarching thing. The gospel is what we would say, it's the best news ever. It is good news, but good news is not the gospel. So what is, what is the gospel? Okay, let's look at some of these things. And here's what we're going to do. My, my first boss in ministry, his name is Tim. And Tim took me through this exercise. I think it's great. I want to take you guys through it this morning. Um, I want to categorize these words this morning. And I want to put them into uh, one of three categories. I'll throw them up here on the screen. Uh, number one is what is the gospel, right? What, what is the good news? What actually happened? What is the good news that is the gospel. What is the gospel, okay? Number two, how did it happen, right? What, what had to happen in order for the good news to become good news, right? What, is, what events had to transpire in order for the gospel to become? And then number three, what are the implications of it? What do we get? What do we receive? What, what is all the goodness that we get from the gospel? Does that make sense? So what is it? That's the question we're after. Number two, um, what had to happen in order for it to become? And then number three, what do we get as a result? And how, how do we get it? Kind of those two things. And so let's go back to the word cloud for a moment. And let's look at some of these um, things. So Jesus died and rose again. That's a clear number two, okay? Jesus died and rose again. Now, is that the gospel? Is that... Is that what happened, or is that what had to happen in order for the gospel to be, or is that what we get because of the gospel? Which category would that fit into? What's that? Number two. Yeah, it, it had to happen, right? Jesus had to die and had to raise again in order for the gospel to become true, but it's actually, listen, it's actually not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So what is the gospel? All right, let's, let's look. Um, Jesus saves, right? That seems to be a big number three. Jesus saves. Um, salvation, right? Our salvation, right? Is that, is that what happened? Is that what had to happen in order for it to happen? Or is that an implication? Is that something that we get as a result? Is that one, two, or three? Three. Yeah, you guys are so smart. Three, yeah. It's an implication of the gospel. It's something that we receive because of the gospel. Redemption, right? Is redemption our, our being redeemed? Is that one, two, or three? Three, yeah. Okay, you guys are smart. You guys, are, you guys got this. Um, um, let's see. Grace of God, right? Grace. Um, grace is a tricky one because it kind of encompasses the whole thing, right? Um, the whole thing is an act of grace, right? But it kind of goes back to the good news piece, right? Grace by itself is not the gospel. Now, here's the beauty of this. Right after this gathering today, our newest staff member, Austin Glenn, is taking us through a workshop on gospel fluency. Gospel fluency. And, and I think everyone in the room should go through this class, okay? Uh, because it's not up there. It's not up there. All of those things are wrapped up in the gospel. All of them are, but it's not the gospel. Gospel fluency. What is it and how do we communicate it? That's, that workshop is happening today, right after this class. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be in that class. 
Because clearly, clearly, we, we've missed something here. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And so I'm going to answer that for us this morning, and uh, we'll talk more about it. Actually, before we do that, let's, let's put that next uh, question, right? Is the, is the reign of Jesus, okay, yeah, a line, a line segment or a reign? Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, people say it's a line. Jesus has always been king and always will be king. Some people said it's a ray. Uh, it began, it never ended. And one person, one, one little person said uh, it's a segment. It's a segment. Um, here is the good news. The good news is this. Jesus became king. That is it. Everything else flows in and out of that. Jesus became king. Palm Sunday exists in the church calendar, right? Palm Sunday, this, this day, today exists. The reason why we acknowledge today, the reason why every year we preach on the same thing on the same Sunday is to remind ourselves that the gospel is Jesus became king. Jesus became king. This is why we are here today. Today is the Good News Sunday. It's Gospel Sunday, and the good news is that Jesus became king. And so let's dive into this. Let's talk more about it. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. For those of you who have your Bibles open, um, I will read it for us. We, we, Brett read this at the call of worship today, um, but I'm going to read it for us again. Matthew 21, verse 1. This is, this is the Palm Sunday text. Now when they, they being the disciples in Jesus, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, uh, it says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, for those of you who are new to the Bible, for those of you who um, maybe haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament um, and don't kind of <coughs> fully understand or know the, the, the full story arc, this text actually feels weird and kind of insignificant, okay? It's, it's strange. I mean, Jesus basically steals someone's donkey, right, and rides into the city, and people begin to just act 
act weirdly. It is weird to cut branches off of trees and throw them on the ground as somebody rides a donkey over. That's strange, okay? It seems insignificant and weird, this, this strange text that, that seems apparently meaningless. But, but this morning, I want to make the case that Jesus is declaring something here, and the people are responding in agreement to that which he is declaring. And this, what he's declaring, is the biggest thing in the history of the world, in the history of the cosmos, that he is king. This comes from a, a prophecy. What's happening is he's fulfilling a prophecy in Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, 9 reads this way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? So what's happening here is, 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 is Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. He's fulfilling this prophecy. And the crowd gets it, right? This prophecy that, that, that the Messiah, that the king who is coming for the nation of Israel, who will rule the entire world, right, will be humble, will be righteous and a humble, and will be a savior king, right? Jesus saying, that's me. The Savior King who is righteous and humble, riding in on a, on a donkey. And the people will shout and exclaim with joy. And we see that being fulfilled in this day. And the people grasp what's happening, right? The, these Jews in first century Israel, right? In first century Jerusalem, right? They've descended on the city for Passover. This is a big deal, right? They're, they're all in the city. They're gathering together. Jesus is riding in on the donkey, and look at verse 8. This is from, from Matthew 21, our text for today, right? Most of the crowd, most of the crowd, not some, not a few people, most of the people who were there begin to spread their cloaks on the ground. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you take your coat off and throw it in the middle of the road so that somebody on a donkey could walk over your, why would you do that? Because they're weird, okay, yes. Why else? Why would you do that? What are they, what are they declaring? It is king, royalty, honor, yes, worth, right? I do not deserve to stand on the same ground as you. You don't deserve to have the same dirt on your feet that are on my feet. The donkey you're riding on does not deserve to have the same dirt on his feet that is on mine. They're throwing their, co their coats on the ground. And those who aren't wearing coats, the women in the crowd, are cutting down these branches. This is where we get the idea of Palm Sunday, right? They're cutting down the branches and lining the streets with branches so that this, to, to symbolize, to declare, this one is becoming king. Coming king. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Who's David in the Old Testament? What's his job title? What's he do? King. He's king. And for the son of the king, what will the, the job title of the, of the son of a king be one day? Prince, yeah. And eventually, king, right? No, nobody asked 
Nobody asked the son of a king. Nobody asked the prince, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what do you think? Uh, you want to be like a pilot or a doctor, a lawyer? What do, you, what do you want to be, a garbage man? What do you want to do when you grow up? Nobody asked him that, right? Because you know what you're going to be. You know what you're going to be. You're going to be king. That will be your job. And so when they declare, when, they, when the people scream in the streets, Hosanna to the son of David, they're declaring kingship. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And who is making him king? God. God is making him king. Hosanna in the highest is making him king. Here is what is being declared by Jesus and what is being understood and redeclared by the actions of the people that day is this. The God of all things has sent Jesus to take his seat on the throne as the savior king of the world and ultimately of the cosmos. This is what's happening. This is what Jesus is declaring and what the people are responding to in agreement that the God of all things has sent Jesus to take his seat on the throne as king of the world and ultimately king of the cosmos, king of all things, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. This, I will make the case, is the gospel. It is the good news. It's the good news. Now, has he always been king? Most of you in the room said yes. He's infinitely been king. I'll make the case that that is not true. It's not true. He's not always been king. Jesus has not always been king. Has he always been God? Yes. He's always been God. Right? He's, he's eternally inseparable from the Father. You can't separate the two. He, he is the preeminent one. He, he is, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has always been God. He's always been God. All things were created through him, and by him, and for him. He's always been God. But he has not always been king. Scripture is clear on both of those facts. Jesus has always been God. But he's not always been king. I want to show you a text. This is, speaking of weird text, it only gets weirder. Uh, Daniel 7. Daniel um, has this, there's this vision uh, of these crazy, crazy beasts uh, doing these crazy things. And what it is, we learn later in Daniel that uh, the picture that is seen is uh, this picture of uh, these, it's, 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 it's symbolizing the nations of the earth warring against each other. The, nation, the nations raging and clamoring. Who will be the king? Who will have the power? Who will have the authority? Who will have all the kind of eternal rights to the world? Who will reign and rule over all things? And you have these superpowers that are fighting this battle to, to find out who is going to win. This is a creepy thing. And then, and then all of a sudden, Daniel is kind of transported into this picture of the, the throne room of God. And here, here's what we see. Daniel 7, verse 9. I'll meet up in the screen. As I looked, thrones were placed. In the ancient of days, this is God the Father, okay, God. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire sued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. 
and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Here's the court. The court, 10,000 times 10,000. I said in the last gathering, I'm pretty sure it's a million. It's not a million. It's a hundred million. I can't do math. Okay, listen. It's a hundred million. A hundred million angels sit before him in silence as the books are open. Like, can you imagine what a hundred million? You can't imagine. You can't imagine. Like, we, we stand in awe when we see crowds of like 20,000. Like 20,000 is like, wow, that's a lot of people. Or you pack a stadium, like the largest stadiums. Are like, are like, what, is, what is it? What is like Ohio State and Penn State? Are like 50,000? What is it? 100,000? Like that blows our mind. That's, like, that's insane. That's an insane number. A hundred million people. Not people, angels. A hundred million angels. Silence. As the books are open, all the nations of the world are warring and raging. Who's going to win? Who's going to receive the glory? Who's going who's to control the earth? Skipping down to verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I saw one like the sun of man. This is a foreshadowing, a picture of the incarnated Christ. God putting on flesh and dwelling among us. This is Jesus stepping into the court of, 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 a, of, a, of 10, 100 million angels. And this warring nations trying to decide who's going to win. And God says, you, you will rule. You will become king. I will give you dominion. I will give you glory, and I'll give you the kingdom. When Jesus is on earth, right, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's been given to me. He becomes king. He becomes king. He's always been God, but he's not always been king. He's always been God, but he's not always been king. There was a usurping of his authority, a, a, a stripping of the kingdom. It happened, right? So the question is, who, who, who ruled? Who was, who was in charge? Who was ruling? If, if he hasn't always been king, who was ruling? I think scripture is clear on this as well. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, Paul says it this way. He says, and you, talking about you and me, we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. Prince. Someone else. This is not Jesus. Someone else was once 
ruling, not as king, as prince, right? This little peon, not real, not genuine, but still ruling. There was seated on the throne before Christ a prince, a wicked, deplorable, tyrannical prince. C.S. Lewis captures this in, in, in his Chronicles of Narnia, right? When, when the children enter into Narnia, who rules Narnia? The white witch. The white witch. And she rules over Narnia, but it's not the Narnia of old. It's not the Narnia that's meant to be, right? It's, it's always winter, but never what? Not spring. Not summer. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. It is this constant state of darkness. C.S. Lewis is painting for kids this picture that this is not the way the world has always been and not the way the world always will be, but it is being ruled by someone who has usurped the throne, someone who has stolen it, Someone who has taken it. He's painting this picture for us. In 1 John, John makes it, says it this way. He says, 1 John 5, 19, he says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's someone else who has the power, who has the authority, who's the prince of the power of the air. In Matthew 4, Jesus uh, it goes into the wilderness, and he's fasting, and, the, and the Satan comes to him to tempt him. And Satan says this, this is the last temptation of Satan. He says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. I'll give them to you. They'll be yours. How can he give them to him? He owns them. They're his. He is the prince of the power of the air. Now, is he going to give them to him? No, he's not going to give them to him. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's deceiving him right there. He's, that's not his intent. That's not what he's doing. We know that. But he does have the authority. He has usurped it. He's stolen it. He is the prince of the power of the air. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of the domain of darkness. And it's a domain that he has held since nearly the beginning. Nearly the beginning. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are sin, sin against God, right? The, the serpent, the devil, tempts them to sin. It's this picture of Satan usurping, right? Taking the created order that God has made for his glory, for himself, for our joy. Taking it. For himself, it is the moment where he says, this is going to be mine. And how does he do it? By breaking it down, by removing its glory, by unestablishing God's rule and reign, by making it less than what God has made it. He causes Adam and Eve to sin, and therefore, now it is a fallen world, a fallen creation. It's broken. It's no longer what it was, no longer what it was meant to be. And so now he can sit as prince over this broken, broken cosmos. The image of God and man has now been marred and fractured and broken. And now he, he, can, he, can, he can play his little game and do his thing. This is what is happening in Genesis 3. 
He's usurping that authority. The created order, he's breaking it down. He's, he's establishing the domain of darkness. Now, God, is God thwarted by this? Is God like, oh no, what am I going to do now? No, no. No, he, he is in an instant, in a moment, right? He still, right, he still has all the power. He still has all the power. But this thing that he's made has now been, been corrupted. And so God curses. He, he writes it into the curse in Genesis 3, 15. He curses Satan, and he writes it into the curse. He says to Satan, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. And he, he, you, you, will, you will bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. He writes into the curse the cure. He says, he says listen, I know you think you've won, but here it is. Someday, someday, a human being, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, okay, from her offspring, a human being is what he's saying. A human being will come, and yes, you're going to get him. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head. He's going to kill you. It's coming for you. A human being. A human will be the cure. A human will bring an end to the domain of darkness. Paul writes this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, a well-known text. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was infinitely always God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. A hundred million angels will bow at his name and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, to the glory of God the Father. The cross is the cure. How does Jesus establish his kingdom? By dying. The good news is that he's king. But the cross is absolutely the means to it. The resurrection is absolutely the means to it. While it's not the gospel, it is necessary for the gospel. It's necessary. In Romans 15, or sorry, Romans 14, Paul says this in verse 9. He says, for to this end Christ died and lived again. Why Good Friday? Why Easter? Why did Jesus die? Why did he raise again? That he might be Lord, King, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. In Peter's famous sermon in Acts 2, he says, Let all the house of Israel know with, for certain that God has made him both Lord, King, and Christ, Messiah, King and Savior, this Jesus whom you crucified, Right? All of, this, all of this comes through his death. And we're going to talk more about that on Good Friday here this, this Friday, 6.30. Right? I don't want to spoil all, any of that. Right? But everything, everything that we're entering into this week, Holy Week, okay? 
okay? The, the, the Good Friday and Easter, every moment of every day is all about what had to transpire in order for him to become king. Palm Sunday is the declaration of his kingship, right? But he doesn't become king until Good Friday. It's like the inauguration. And then Easter Sunday, he, ra- he raises from the dead to reign and rule forevermore. Well, not forevermore. I said earlier, is the kingdom, is Jesus' rule and reign a line, a line segment, or a ray? Most of you put line, and the rest of you put a, a, a ray. It was beginning and no end. One person in the room put line segment, and they're actually right. One day, he will relinquish the kingdom to the Father. We don't have time to get into it this morning. I'm already well out of time. It's a sermon for another day. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. You can look at that up on your own after this. One day, he will hand the kingdom over to his father because he loves him that much. He loves him that much. Palm Sunday is the declaration that Jesus is king. Jesus became king. That is the good news. And all the implications of the gospel flow out of this news, right? It all flows out of it. Jesus became king. One last text for today. Colossians 1, 12-14, Paul says this. He says, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you, you, you who are in Christ. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, right? Redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, this transferring of, 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 of our citizenship, right? All of that are implications of one good news. Jesus became king. He, he, he gained the authority. He gained the ability to transfer us. He died in your place and in my place. And in doing so, reestablished what had been broken. And so now, once again, the God of all things can sit over and rule the cosmos as king. And he is in the process right now of transforming it, perfecting it from one degree of glory to another, making us, forming us into his likeness. One day he will return. He will put an end to the prince, an end to the domain of darkness, and all that will be left is the kingdom of his marvelous light. And in that day, he will hand it over to the Father and say, all of this is done. It's finished. It's complete. And it's yours. It's yours. And so, friends, right now, we live in this already but not yet moment. This already Jesus is king. But the kingdom, his rule and reign, that we, there's still, there is still a domain of darkness. Satan is still prowling about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We are still waging war every day between the kingdom of his marvelous light and the domain of darkness of the prince of the power of the air. We're born into the domain of darkness. But because of Christ, because of his work, 
we may now enter the kingdom of light today. We can enter the kingdom of light today. And everything that we did, everything that we did as we lived in the domain of darkness is instantly, in a moment, forgiven, grace and mercy bestowed upon us. Only a king could do that. That's the good news. Jesus is king. So now he has the right, the right to forgive you, the right to bestow grace and mercy on you and to usher you into his kingdom because he's king. He's king. The king that lovingly reshapes us and is forming us into his perfect image. The king that lovingly sends his spirit to help us. The king that will return and call us home. And we should receive all of this by faith. But faith is not that simple. James says, right, faith without works is dead. Because faith requires us bending our knee and saying, you are truly king. It's one thing to say it, but to actually believe it, to live it out, to say, Jesus is king in my life, in all the days of my life, in all the days of all eternity, will, will, will be lived out in submission to him. It's a different story altogether. And so we, we must become a people who, who acknowledge that, not just with our words and not just in our minds, but with our actions, who live in a way that declares that he is king. Palm Sunday reminds us that he has become king this week, Holy Week, as we move through it, reminds us of what he had to do in order to become king, what it cost him to regain this kingdom. And the implications of that will take the rest of our lives to fully understand and unpack. But we must give our lives to it by releasing our grasp on the things of this world and clinging to our king and acknowledging that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning and we exalt you above every name. Might our lives be laid down as cloaks in the street, as branches before you. It's all yours. You are holy. You are blameless. You have made a way for us to be free from the bondage of sin free from the domain of darkness. You've invited us freely into the kingdom of your glorious light. Help us to relinquish our grasp on the things of this world, the things of the domain of darkness, and cling to you and you alone. And help us to fix our gaze on the day when you will return for us and you will set all things right make all things new to the praise and the glory of the Father. I pray this in your name.